Hello there, my name is Danny Anderson and I have five questions for interesting people. This is an interview project for the Untaking Substack. The idea behind this series is to amplify the voices of people who think enough of the world that they're willing to do interesting things to make it a little bit better. People who haven't settled into cynicism. I have five questions for them with maybe a little follow-up here and there. Hope you enjoy it. If you'd like to answer the five questions yourself or think you know someone who might, feel welcome to send me an email at the Untaking Substack. And while you're there, please consider signing up for the newsletter, which is entirely free. That way you won't miss any interesting people. And now here's five questions with interesting well, people. Well, hello everybody. And thanks again for joining us for another episode of five questions for interesting people. Uh, my name is Danny Anderson. And today my guest is Jeremy Hunt. And I will let Jeremy introduce himself in whatever way he would like to. And then I'll get into the five questions uh, and let him wow us with his, uh, with his answers. Way to tee it up there. Uh, yeah. Hey, um, so I am, uh, let's see, a husband, a father of five, uh, just recently finished up my PhD at Fuller Seminary in Theology and Culture. Uh, I work full-time uh, at Davidson College. My alma mater uh, currently is the social media manager there. Um, social media is, has been my full-time career now for probably about 12 to 13 years, uh, but I'm also really interested in teaching as well um, in the fields of sort of theology, cultural studies, film, music. Music was my my main focus in my dissertation and my studies. Um, so yeah, that's that's a little bit about who I am and the sort of stuff I'm into. No, and it gives you a lot of different directions to take these questions, which I think is awesome. Um, and Jeremy and I, I were talking before recording, and we cannot remember how it is we came across each other's uh, Twitter, what are landscapes. I know it was on Twitter somewhere, but I don't know the point of contact there. Uh, but uh, your interests in theology and culture and arts very closely align with mine. And so there was clearly some sort of overlap at some point in the last few years. Yeah, um, for sure. And then we showed up on each other's radar there. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and uh, so let me just get beginning with the, the first question. How is it that you're trying to make the world better with whatever work you do? Oh man. Um, I think the best way for me to get at this really gets into that that crux of theology and culture. I grew up in um, in the South in fairly conservative circles um, where art and artistic expression was largely kept at an arm's length. A lot of it was kind of um, looked at with a lot of distrust and anxiety, a lot of worry and concern. And some some of it was just downright off limits. And so um and yet, as a kid, as a teenager, that was exactly what spoke to me, you know, the situations I was in in my life, things that I was wrestling with, questions I had um, about life, about myself, about about God, about people in general, humanity, if you will. Um, so I, th I think that's weirdly those things being um, sometimes off limits, but also, like I said, just sometimes looked at with a lot of distrust actually pushed me in the direction of like, what's going on here? Like, why does this feel so powerful to me? Why, why is it, why are these things, why are film, literature, poetry, uh, music, especially for me as a musician, why, why does this stuff uh, have the weight and the impact that it does? And why is there so much fear around it? And so I think in terms of the work that I'm doing and the things that I hope to focus on uh, moving forward, 
I I want to help folks better grapple with those things and feel at home and um, in a place where they can sit with things, where they can wrestle with art um, and regain a better understanding of the arts as a as a as a field but as an embodied practice and 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 basically uh, a way to see and see themselves in that and then live into that as well um just because yeah it's it, it's the arts have changed my life and i i can't imagine my life without i mean the <laughs> stuff i have behind me is, is a testament to it and and you know raising five five children um you know, we have tried uh, to raise them in a in a environment in our home and with our extended community, where um, artistic expression is celebrated and where questions and messiness are celebrated, and and where uh, there, there's there's safety and there's room in that uh, to explore who you are uh, and your relationship again with one another, with the world at large. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see. I mean, I know that I met you online, but I can see that you're still a big believer in physical media. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> my wife, to my wife's chagrin, I, I'm trying to figure out where in our house we can store some of this stuff. But yeah, no, I, I'm I'm a big proponent of tangible media. Still, I think there's something valuable about having the having the artifact, having the thing. So yeah, no, I totally agree with you, right? Um, and so, um, but. It, in all seriousness, the questions you raise about how certain kind of religious environments can kind of marginalize people who yeah. kind of live life through imagine the imagination, like and through the arts. Like I think that that stepping into and and being sort of like a, a friendly face in within those religious environments about how art is not necessarily the enemy. I think that that's definitely something that speaks to me too as well. Um, I. Don't know how many of these videos anybody watches, but oh, I'm a little sometimes self-conscious. My Hannibal Lecter wall is over here and my werewolf <laughs> wall is over there. I have oh. a whole carpenter suite on that wall. <laughs> I mean, oh, you're you're, you're in safe company. I <laughs> Carpenter's one of my all-time favorites. I, you know, I've got my my DVDs over here. I have a I have a the thing uh uh, uh board game that I've played oh. once. The first, uh, the title of my my band's first album is "God is the Warmest Place to Hide." Yeah. Uh, the riff on, so yes, absolutely <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Yeah, it was one of the big. Not to derail the conversation, I'm trying to keep these about the guests, but uh, one of the big thrills of my life was last about a year ago. I got to meet him at uh, Steel City Con, and so I, I got a picture taken with him and an autograph on my fog poster. And so I created this whole like shrine to John Carpenter over here. So yeah, uh, okay, you're gonna have to send me pictures. I love that. That that's I'll fantastic. do that. <laughs> I will do that for sure. Yeah. Um, in fact, I just made a, a Salt on Peak Precinct 13 light switch uh, plate cover for my uh for that wall to no just way. yeah so and it's uh very sweet actually so anyway awesome. less <laughs> about me more about you here so i don't know although I there is it. some and, and the reason i bring that up is someone who um grew up in conservative church circles as well yes i've always kind of been you know felt like a weirdo i guess it's an open question as to whether i've been made to feel like a weirdo or i was actually a weirdo yeah. um but the um but yeah part of it was I find myself just sort of naturally drawn to things 
that are kind yeah. of verboten in those kind right. of moral communities. And um, and so, yeah, it, it kind of, uh, I appreciate someone having a sensitivity to that um, in other people. Well, and I, and I think, yeah, similarly, you know, I was homeschooled um, and it was overall a positive experience. Like my parents worked their butts off. So it's, it's really less about them per se versus, again, just the cultural circles that we ran in growing up in South Carolina in the, you know, uh, 80s and early 90s. It was just a very, very conservative place. Um, very, very, you know, Christian landscape, um, if you will. And yeah, I never felt like I fit in anywhere, like, you know, either because I was homeschooled and, you know, we'd go out and run errands and people would always stare like, what are you doing out of school? Like, why are you here in this space? Like, why are you in the local, you know, Ingalls or whatever, getting groceries? Um, but then also like being told, oh, this stuff that you're in, the stuff that you might be drawn to or attracted to in terms of, you know, uh, stories that, that speak to you, horror and, you know, weirdo stuff on the fringe. Um, you, that's that's also you you don't belong there you know like you you may feel drawn to it but that's not for you so i yeah i'm with you 100 i mean that's like i don't know if you've ever seen the movie freaked with yeah. uh, it but this is this is actually i just got the shirt the other day but it's um <laughs> uh one of the early mtv films and it stars wow. winter from you know bill and ted and it's this it's basically like a live action cartoon it's insane and it's goofy and it's very um lots of practical effects um but uh yeah that's that's emblematic of a lot of the stuff that i i'm just love purely coincidentally i'm wearing my american werewolf in london uh t-shirt nice. slaughtered lamb uh today too so i yes, saw so. I, I saw part of the top <laughs> of the wolf's head and i was like i think <laughs> yes. yeah uh it's very hot up here today so this is kind of cool um yeah. and uh you've actually touched on the second question already by bringing up south carolina but you may want to go somewhere else sure. how did a particular place make you who you Ooh. are today yeah, I, I'll I'll stick. There are a couple of places I could probably reference, but I'll I'll stick in the South, um, in part because for a long time I didn't feel like it was part of who I am. Um, my my folks are both um, former military brats. My dad served. My mom grew up in a military family. They met on you know army bases, and so um, when we moved to the South when I was uh, four five. Um, and I grew up basically not feeling like I belonged there in part because my parents were not from there. And so a lot of the folks that we knew, you know, went back like generations, you know, like uh, you know, my cousins are over that hill. My grandma and grandpa lived, you know, two towns over. Meanwhile, I'm like, it's me, my parents and my younger sister, and my closest relatives are in like, you know, they're like a four hour drive away in Savannah, Georgia. And so um, that definitely marked me for a while until I moved away from the South and then realized like, oh, no, there's a lot about that place that's in me. There's a lot that, you know, even if my family didn't feel like, you know, we had roots there, um, it really marked me, I think, in terms of. I mean, certainly early on seeing racial disparities. Um, I remember the 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 uh, neighborhood that we grew up in. 
I remember when my parents told me, oh, there's a there's a black family moving in and there are some of our neighbors are not happy about it. And I as a kid, I just, you know, there's that moment where you're like, wait, why? Who would who cares? Like my first my earliest memories are actually living in Maryland and the family across the street from us was a black family. And they had a little boy about the same age that I was three, you know, two or three. And like we played together all the time. So from an early age, I was just like, what? And so. I think that sort of thing um, certainly shaped me. I mean, growing up in a rural part of South Carolina, right outside a larger city, but definitely, you know, kind of in the sticks that that marked me as well, just in terms of a sensitivity to class disparities as well. Um, and then lo and behold, moving back to the South after being away and my dad has finally started doing um, some like some family tree research. Um, and this is what's really weird, bringing it full circle. He actually discovered that a lot of his family um, is from the area of South Carolina that we're from, like going back generations. And so that was one of those moments where I was like, oh, wow, I have weirdly felt connected to this because I was raised here. But also like, no, there's actual like Hunt family tree that goes back to like Anderson, South Carolina, which is not that far from where I grew up. So it's just... Um, I don't know if that does a good job of answering that question, but it's, it's been sort of like this journey of, of kind of going back to what we were saying earlier, growing up, feeling like you don't really belong anywhere, leaving where, where, you know, you were raised, where I was raised and then realizing like, Oh no, this is there. This is home. Like there, there, there's something here. And then, kind of moving it forward realizing like oh no i i want to give my kids a sense of rootedness um and and so that's one of the reasons why after school we returned here was to say you know this is a place where hopefully for as long as we can be here we'll be here um and y'all can have the community and the things that you know i didn't necessarily grow up with so yeah, yeah. so this general interest to, to you know put the dot on it the general connection there is this uh compassion for the margins right people like stuck yeah. in between and yeah. uh yeah and i totally agree with that um uh the sort of darker question of the five uh think about a person that you've lost yeah. and how did the shape of your life change to adjust to that loss yeah so i think my answer to this is going to be a little bit more open-ended um the the best the best way I can put it is it's a loss that I'm actually still dealing with. It's not, it's not a closed loop. Um, so about 15 years ago, I mentioned her already, but my, my uh, only sibling, my younger sister through a whole lot of different scenarios and situations. Um, a lot of which still remains a mystery to me uh, uh, disowned our family, like just walked away from our family and, left a, a letter for my mom and my dad, nothing whatsoever uh, directed at me or addressed to me. And she has been gone from my life, uh, complete silence towards me for 15 years. And so that's been, it's a weird sort of liminal space of like, okay, she's basically dead to me or I'm dead to her. Um, but I know she's still out there. Um, we, you know, I've I've tried to reach out periodically um certainly not very much in the in the past few years but that's that's been a loss that i it's a weird again kind of space to live in where 
like growing up we were we were so close like we were best friends um did everything together and even you know she attended the same college i did and we you know hung out at, in college and then just you know i got married um and this was literally like right before the birth of our first child uh, um and she was she's like i'm i'm done i'm out i don't want to be a part of this family anymore um and i you know to be fair to her i potentially for some justified reasons um but again never heard anything directly from her i have no idea what i may or may not have done to either push her away so it's very much a kind of a black hole of like what is this and how do i live with this and what do i do with this and so i think um i think the ways in which it's shaping me are still sort of unfolding it's it's kind of a slow paced grief in some ways where if i sit with it for a while um it weighs you know heavily on me and yet at the same time not to be um not to sound overly pragmatic there's only so much that i can do about it and so there's an aspect of it where i just have to keep living my life and and taking care of you know the people who are in my life and um so yeah i'm sorry if that i don't know if that's a good answer or if it, i don't have a fine point to it but again i think i guess i would say part of it again not to put too fine a point on it i i think it just it I hope it's it gives me a, a deep well of compassion for folks that have similar griefs and or similar pain that they have experienced that it's it's there's a lot of absurdity in life there's a lot of things that just don't line up and just don't make sense and some of what we some of the ways in which we kind of have to live in and through that is is being okay with contradiction I guess, yeah. and things that don't make sense. So I can imagine that that kind of experience like informs your theological approaches. I mean, there is definitely biblical existential traditions that, you know, basically paint life as a state of unknowing, you know, and, yeah. um, and, and I think that I can imagine how you can really, uh, how that probably drives you. Um, yeah. that's, that's really powerful stuff, actually. Um, um, wow. Um, that's, uh, well, I mean, I, I, I don't know what to say, but I wish you the best. No, and thank you. I mean, and, and to be, to be fair, I mean, at this point it's, it's less of like a, a sharp sort of like pain and just more of a, I, I don't know, dull ache. It's just, and actually, no, to be brutally honest, there are just days when I just forget. I mean, it's just, she doesn't cross my mind at all. And then there are other days where I just think, man, what, what is, what is going on? Does she, you know, does she need help? Is she okay? You know, she's clearly living whatever life that she wants to live. And so there's an aspect of that, that I, that I want to respect. Um, but, you know, and then, you know, the, the, the other almost not painful is not, but maybe one of the more complicated bits of course, is my own children who know that they have an aunt out there that doesn't that she knows that they exist but she has no interest in being in our lives and so that's you know to raise a group of kids where it's like hey you know when this comes up in conversation a lot of what i have to tell them is i i just don't know like i don't have a good answer for you um 
but maybe even in that it's an opportunity to, to like you said sort of model those sorts of things so but in the like i gather we grew up in comparable religious backgrounds um yeah in those kinds of spaces that there's all there's a a real drive towards having a point having an answer like this is part of god's plan is always like people yes. to do this kind of thing and yeah. this totally throws like a molotov cocktail into that kind of um yeah that kind of theology really and yeah, culture. yeah it, it really so, does yeah well um why don't you tell us now then about something that's a beautiful thing that most people don't appreciate enough um all right I'm going to, I'll try to explain this in the best way I, I know how. Um, I am a big fan of flawed art. And what I mean by that is, like, we've talked a little bit about movies. Horror films, I think, are a perfect example of this, like horror films and sci fi films. Stuff that tends to be um, shoestring or low budget, um, where you can literally sort of see the seams um similarly to a lot of the music that i love a lot of it is you know uh clicks from distortion pedals and and hum and hiss that gets left in finger slides i adore art where it feels like you are are almost present in the making of it and so i am a big fan of art that is basically i i almost said broken but that's not the right I, yeah just flawed imperfect stuff where maybe it didn't all come together precisely. And I, and I think that's a big part of the sort of stuff that I hope to pass along to, you know, folks that I teach folks that I come in contact with is I, I think there's deep beauty in something that's not perfect. Um, you know, perfect in quotes, of course, but, and that's not to say that, you know, um, traditional sort of like fine or high art or or pristine you know studio recording is not there's not something beautiful to appreciate in that but i i feel like a lot of the conversations i have certainly around film especially i find myself in the space of like defending a film that you know most people have kind of like cast off as like oh well that that film sucked or you know it wasn't that you know i i, I hated it for x y and z and so i think that's if that if I could sort of wave a magic wand, that would be what I would the beauty in the world and the the, the things that I, I would hope that folks would be able to um I don't know, just just see aspects. Not that I want everybody to have my opinions. It's not that. It's just like, oh, there's just something there. It's I think in, and I think it's the humanity of it where you know, we, we are broken, uh, creatures often, and we, we, and we make broken things. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. We make imperfect things. And I, and I just find a lot of a wealth of meaning and, and, and beauty in that. Yeah. I mean, there's a difference between a, a piece of fabric or a cloth that's been machine stitched so neatly that the stitching is invisible. Right. Right. Um, and the stitching that is so apparent because and it because it leaves traces of the hands that actually did the stitching uh, right? and and there's something kind of beautiful about about that uh and I, I love totally, that i totally agree with you about this too um I, beautiful. one of my own kind of hobby horses is like trying to defend like humanity and this is one of my own kind of like anxieties about um 
all forms of technology, but, you know, social yeah. media essentially too, but uh, the way it, it kind of so quickly and mechanically has causes us to mechanically come to opinions very yes. quickly. Right. Uh, and I feel like a lot of the messiness of human experience um, gets tossed out as uh, the machine can't make use of that, I suppose. And so, yeah, well, and it's something, and I don't have a good way to like articulate it and, or, or to fully articulate it, but it's something I've been wrestling with now for a few years, bringing these, you know, different strands of social media and technology and communications and humanity and the arts. Um, I came across, gosh, I don't know. It's probably been like five or six years ago, a piece on Buzzfeed news talking about they were they were consulting with a guy who is basically kind of like a technology sort of prophet in the sense that not that he's like foretelling the future but just you know he's a guy who spends a lot of time in those spaces and had kind of called a couple of trends early and so they were like hey you know kind of looking at the tea leaves what do you see now what what might be coming down the pipeline and this was at the front end, the very front end of like deep fakes. And one of the things that he talked about was he said, I think we're going to get to a point where, and it's a, I don't know if he coined this term or if it was from someone else, but he said, I think we're going to get to a point not too far into the future where uh, folks that spend a lot of time with tech and in technological spaces on social media, et cetera. He said, I think it's, we're going to reach a, a point of basically reality apathy where it gets so good at mimicking things that people essentially kind of throw up their hands and say, I, I, I can't spend the time that I need. I don't to figure out, you know, is this a real talking head from Obama or is this something that somebody's put into his mouth via deep, you know, all that sort of stuff. And something in me clicked when I read that piece and, and heard that term and I was like, I don't know. It's not that we have to push the, the genie back in the bottle. It's here. You know, the technology is going to continue to advance for whatever, you know, for whoever or whatever wants to fund it. But I just thought, again, coming from the arts angle of things, I was like, I wonder if part of the response to this is sort of like a radical embrace of the imperfections that make us who we are, because the mimicking is going to, yes. it's just going to consume as much info as it can to get as close to you know, getting through that uncanny valley, essentially, to say, oh, this is now, now, now we look almost, you know, virtual, you know, photo real or whatever. And I just, I, I, I don't know that it's, that it's a, a good answer, but it feels like part of the, maybe the pushback or sort of the way to continue to main our, uh, uh, maintain and, and, um, and essentially love our own humanity is, those imperfections and that brokenness so it, similar conversations come up i in my world of you know english professor and yeah. uh, the uh ai in chat gpt and all that kind of thing everyone yeah. thinks you should have an opinion on that and and honestly i i can't think of a better solution if you're so concerned about it go back to blue book tests right oh yeah <laughs> you know that's what i, mean? what I had that's what <laughs> I had 20 years ago where yeah, I remember <laughs> yeah. as well. and it may be the best solution honestly to it right uh, yeah yeah, yeah it's, literal, uh, literal handwritten <laughs> answers to exam oh my gosh I, <laughs> I wouldn't want to take one of those and i'm no. probably not going to go to blue books but <laughs> but uh, i do some forms of that anyway this is like yeah. a, this isn't about me yeah. but um i love well, it and let's wrap this up this has been so great and i love 
uh, the fact that there's sort of, I, I can identify a real common theme here about sure. um, appreciating that which is left behind within certain communities, right? And trying to give love to that. And 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 I really, I can see that throughout all of your answers. Um, so if your life were a novel, what would the final chapter be or do or look like? Oh, man. Um, I think it's a two-part. Uh, I, I hope that it's a celebration. Uh, but I also kind of, I, I also would love for it to be a cliffhanger, uh, <laughs> in, in this, in the sense that I think part of, and again, I'm sure you'll, you'll, the, the themes are probably ridiculously blatant, but in the same ways that, you know, I'm shaped by the South shaped by the places where I've lived. Um, and that, that search for identity, I, I, I think I, I'm realizing more and more. And hopefully I have, a, you know, this It's not like I'm on death's doorstep. Uh, you know, I hope and pray and trust that I have a lot more life to live. But I'm realizing how much of who I am um, are echoes and reverberations of the people who came before me. Um, and so when I say a cliffhanger, I guess I, I, I hope that um, the memories and the things literal tangible and intangible that i that i'm leaving behind for my children i hope that when they're doing the work that i'm doing right now trying to understand where i come from and my parents my family i hope that it's a joyful process for them and that it's the sort of thing where they can take what's been given to them by mistake, by purpose, by, you know, my wife and, and myself raising them. Um, and that, that, whatever that looks like, whatever that, the telling of my life that comes after I'm gone, that those, that, that that's, that's the continuation of the story. So, you know, my novel can end and there's, you know, just keeps going with hopefully bits and pieces of what I've left behind to, you know, encourage them, light up their life, hopefully in good ways. And yeah. I love that. I love that answer. Right. Um, you're you've picked up pieces and you're leaving pieces behind and, and yeah. uh, for someone else to pick up. Now, that's great. Well, Jeremy, this has been so fun. I really have enjoyed this conversation. Um, I like to give people a chance to find you if you want to be found. Is there, are there any way they can find any work of yours, your band or anything like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Um, the easiest places to find me would probably just be, you know, social stuff. So uh, Jehu on Twitter or Jehu the Hunt, um, terrible old name that I dreamt up years ago uh, on Twitter. Um, my band is also deeply uh, not uh, search friendly, but it's a band called Koheleth. Um, and so that's uh, Q-O-H-E-L-E-T-H. Um, so if you look up Koheleth on Bandcamp or just kohelethnoise.bandcamp.com, that's where you can find uh, me and, you know, those are good places to start. So, yeah. And I will put links to those in the whatever text accompanies the however you're listening to this. And uh, and so if you want to click on any of those and check out Jeremy's work that he's doing and see if you can put the pieces together as to how that springs out of just a little bit we know about him through this conversation. So Jeremy, thank you so much for this conversation. And those of you listening, thank you for listening. And if you would like to show, come up on the show and uh, 
share your own thoughts and ideas about this. Or if you know someone who you'd like to hear, let them know to contact me and uh, I'd like this to be an open forum. So thank you very much for Jeremy Hunt. My name is Danny Anderson.